0: tonight is my final opportunity to share with you what God has laid on my heart for you from this morning in our home. And we're going to turn now to an Old Testament book that you maybe don't read very often, but it's a very important book. It is the book of Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. That's where you'll find it. So if you can get the Psalms and go from there, then you will get into this very interesting book. It was written by Solomon. There are actually three books that are attributed to Solomon. The Song of Solomon, book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, then the book of Proverbs. And it's felt that Ecclesiastes was penned or written or spoken by Solomon in the latter years of his life. There are a number of things in this book that would indicate that here is a man who has now got uh, a journey behind him and not so much left before him. And he's reflecting on life and he thinks about things with serious thought. And isn't that true, dear friends, that as we get older, the things of what are ahead and eternity seem to loom larger and the things that are behind seem to become smaller. And I pray that tonight the things that are ahead will become so significant and so vital and so vivid to you that it will provoke your mind and heart and thought to do what Jesus wants you to do and that you will not leave the house of God this evening with unfinished business. So, thank you so much for coming. And now we're ready to hear the Word of God. So, have you got your Bibles ready? This amazing book, you know, we two men in our home today... They were doing a job in the attic, and uh, one of them had left uh, a couple of little uh, ornaments that were on the top uh, uh, landing. He had set them in in my study, and when I came up later on, I noticed that they were there, so I knew he had been in. And he said to me when they were just going away, youngish man, he said, I left a couple of uh, little items in your study. Oh, yes, I said, I saw that. Did you see the good book? because the good book was lying open where he had set them. He said, I did. He says, do you read it? No, he says, I don't. I said, my man, you should. You should. It's important. And then we talked a little bit more. Anyhow, the good book, and Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and commencing to read it, verse 6. Chapter 8 and verse 6 because to every purpose there is time and judgment. Therefore the misery of man is great upon him, for he knoweth not that which shall be. For who can tell him when it shall be? There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. All this have I seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own heart. And so I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy. And they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This is also vanity. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times. And his days be prolonged. Yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God which fear before him, but it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Amen, and may God write his own word into our hearts. When I read this book, I realize full well that there's no other book in my library, no other book that I read that has the same authority as this book, that has the same message, that commands the same respect, and that commands the same level of obedience. And so as we have read it, I pray that all of you tonight will recognize that you're not dealing with me, but you're dealing with the Lord. Dear loving Father in heaven, we pray that in the closing moments of this final service, Thy gracious Holy Spirit will focus all our thoughts, our hearts, and our sincere attention. And we pray, Lord, this evening that if this should be, and if this were to be, the last 24-hour period in our lives, we pray, Lord, that there would be no unsettled business, nothing that would need to be settled before eternity's curtains Sweep back, and we are ushered into the great beyond. O Holy Spirit of God, make the things of eternity real to us this evening, we pray, in the precious, mighty name of Jesus our Savior, and for your glory only, we pray. Amen. Amen. Most of you are aware that the most magnificent building that was built in Old Testament history was, of course, the Temple of Solomon. There was no cost, no nothing spared in building what was built under that king, prepared for by David, his father, and then built and to gleam in all its beauty in the beautiful, wonderful, amazing city of Jerusalem. But as we read here in the passage, there came a time when Solomon, upon reflection, looks back. And he says, I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy. No one was more aware of how holy this building was. In actual fact, when it was dedicated, the presence of God so filled it with all the glory of God that even the priests could not minister in that house. I remember one evening starting a mission And just before I went into the service in the very opening night, I remember God speaking into my heart and saying, The glory of the Lord will fill the house. And that very first night, the glory of God did come down. And there was quite a movement of the Spirit of God amongst the people, though it was only the very first night. And you know, whenever the glory of God came down on Solomon's temple, the people were overawed. Because God is a majestic God. Those who have never had a revelation of how majestic He is have no concept of how overawed people are whenever He reveals Himself. But I know that tonight amongst so many of you there is a God-fearing, there is a reverence and there is a respect for the Bible. There is a respect for the things of God. There is a respect for the man of God. And you have got that tonight. But you could have all of that, my dear man or woman, and yet not be right with God. You might be a God-fearing man, and it's a good thing to be a God-fearing man, to be a God-fearing young man, to be afraid to take the Lord's name in vain, be afraid to curse and swear, lest in your dirty, filthy tongue you would be cut off and you would have no opportunity to seek God. I was such a young man. Just before I was converted. But God took me and he did more for my tongue than soap and water and a brush could have done. He cleaned me up on the inside. And he gave me a whole new vocabulary. And I lost a whole lot of old words. And some of you need to lose some words. And you need to get some new words. And you know, I didn't like going to meetings either. I didn't want to be there. And so I would try to stay away and prevent being in them. But when Jesus saved me, that's where I wanted to be. God's people were going to be my people. And his way was going to be my way. And you know something? Sixty years later, bar six months or four months I've still the same joy, still the same conviction, still the same fulfillment, and I wouldn't change anything in my life for all the tea in China and this wonderful, glorious ministry of preaching the Word of God. And wherever Yvonne and I have gone, it has always been a blessing to us, sharing this amazing book. Years ago, we went a number of times back and forward to India to preach there, And sometimes we went to the great Stuart Purim convention up there in Andhra Pradesh. They told me, I don't know, they told me there were up to 100,000 people in the services and I'd never seen such a vast crowd of people. I'd never heard such singing as then. My dear friends, that would put Manchester United Old Trafford into a picnic box. I tell you, whenever you get a crowd like that, It's something else. And they begin to sing, and they begin to pray, and people begin to stream out to seek God. The same in Ethiopia in the last days of a wonderful convention. They told us that people had walked for three days and slept on the journey. Day and night as they got there. And on the last day, the service started at eight o'clock in the morning and it finished at a quarter past four in the afternoon without cessation. Seventy thousand people all in the open air under trees and branches and banked right up the hillside and the same tremendous movements of God. Why is that? Because the glory of God touches people wherever they are. It brings them to the cross of Calvary. And it's always been a delight for Yvonne and myself to share in such occasions. But it's also a delight to share in a very small meeting. Because where Jesus is, it's always glorious. He makes the place of his feet, says the Bible. He makes the place of his feet glorious. And when he steps into your life and his precious feet come into your heart, my dear man or woman, he will make your heart a glorious place. He will make your life a glory-filled life if you will just let go and let him have his wonderful way. But as Solomon is reflecting on life, and I don't want this meeting to be overly long because it's the last meeting, it's not going to be extended out to be a long meeting, I don't want to have you concentrate for a long time because people don't concentrate so long now. But I do want you to focus with me. I do want you to think. I do want you to feel as if this would be ever the last time that you and I would cross paths together. And that is a very real possibility. He reflected and he said, I remember in my life's journey, as I looked at the house of God and I saw people come to that house and worship there, and gather with others, and come into the presence of God. I watched those people as they came, but then I watched them as they left. I saw them go, and I saw them head away down the hill from the temple, and I knew that there were men amongst them who were still unright with God. Because, he said, I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy, It's bad enough, my dear people, to see a man or a woman or young people walk away from the presence of God and go on with their lives. But I'll tell you there's something that is far more black-edged than that. It is when that same man comes to the point where his foot hits his own headstone and he drops into the grave without God or salvation. Tell me something that equals that for sadness, sorrow, darkness, and pain, and anguish, and eternal torment. I have no idea of anything that can parallel that in God's universe. Because of that awful, dreadful place that Jesus spoke about so earnestly and so seriously. And my dear people tonight, it's not very far hence. It's not very far hence. Only one heartbeat. Only one heartbeat, if you're without Jesus Christ, one heartbeat can make the difference between being in a day of opportunity and going beyond the reach of even a merciful God. And so he said, I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of the holy. You know, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, the Lord Jesus speaks about a man who died without Jesus Christ. I don't know whether he went to the house of God or not. It doesn't tell us that. But it does tell us what it was like for him on the other side of the divine. And I tell you as you read that and allow that to sink into your spirit, then you begin to realize, I ought to seek God. I ought to get right with God. I don't want to die and go into a lost eternity. I would pre- pretty much presume tonight... Assume that there's nobody in their right-thinking mind in this lifeboat building tonight who would say blatantly to God and into His face, God, I want to go to hell. They might say it. You might feel it. You might express it in your mind. might not say it outwardly. But you don't really realize what you're saying. And you might very well say it and God might take you at your word. He might take you at your word. So be careful. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We used to plant potatoes. We didn't expect to get turnips. used to plant corn. We didn't expect to get barley. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. And if you sow to the wind, do you know what the Bible says? You'll reap a whirlwind. Sow to the wind, says the Bible. You reap a whirlwind. What does the Bible say? Sow to righteousness and reap in mercy. And if you will sow tonight into your life thoughts about salvation, thoughts about getting right with God, thoughts about coming to the cross, I tell you, dear man, woman, tonight, you will walk out shielded by the mercies of God and covered over with His protective care. I don't know anything that can equal such security and protective care as the care of such a gracious God who loved you and sent His Son to die for you on Calvary's cross. But let's come back to the passage tonight. Let's try tonight to focus our thoughts on what it might be like if such a man were to be brought to our congregation this evening a man who had come to the house of God, a man who had left the house of God and in a moment unexpectedly is called from time into eternity and finds himself now beyond the gates and finds himself now entering into a long, dark tunnel and finds himself going eternally downward, 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 looking for a place for his feet And finding that it is a pit without a bottom. And then the heat begins to uh, increase and the temperature begins to uh, intensify until he feels the hot perspiration of that hot place out into which he has come. And the convictions begin to fall upon him. All around him are dark black demon powers that are screeching out from the rocks and the crags All around him is liquid fire, and all down beyond him are others who have gone out through that doorway, that gateway that is wide, as Jesus said, and leads to destruction. And he comes to realize that which Eric Stuart spoke about, I am now experiencing. That which Bertie Johnson spoke about, now I am realizing. I am where they talked about. Oh, God. Oh, God. Why am I here? I can tell you. Because you did not seize the opportunity of the cross and salvation. And you missed it. And you missed it. And you missed it. Vain regrets begin to well up within your spirit. Deep, dreadful tremors of spirit and soul grip you down in that nether region. Nothing but anguish and terror and pain. Crying for mercy, but ever in vain. The groans of the lost the music of hell, and nothing to break the awful wheel. If there is a simple message for me to give you this evening, I want to try with that picture in my mind, burning in my heart, of a man who is now having vain regrets. And one of the vain regrets he has is that warning had been heeded. 55 years ago, I started preaching. I was 19 years of age. And down through those years of serving the Lord and teaching and preaching and talking and serving this wonderful Savior, My message has been a message of invitation. If you know me at all, you know that I've got a heart that has got Calvary love within it. And I love men and women for Jesus and I long to lead them to the cross. And bless God, we have had a little measure of success kneeling beside men of all kinds of backgrounds, businessmen, farming men, uh, teachers, boys and girls, young men, teenagers. It doesn't matter what their ages are. And so the invitation of the cross has drawn people to Jesus. And I am a drawing preacher by the grace of God because Jesus is a drawing Savior. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And here I am, a small creature made of dust and ashes, a creature of a day, John Wesley said, passing through the air, uh, just as an arrow through the air, and in a little while I'll be gone. But of course, there is more to the ministry than invitation. There is warning. There is warning. Because Jesus was a warning preacher. And this man now who is out in that great beyond is looking back and reflecting. Because in Luke 16, Jesus said that the man cried out, And he remembered that there was a man lay at his gate who was full of sores, a beggar called Lazarus. And he knew that he had five brothers who were still alive on earth. And he knew that he had had good things and he fared sumptuously and he had a great table with bountiful food on it every day. He lived the big life. He lived the luxurious life. But everything that he had is now gone. And what does the Bible say? Remember. What a vain regret that his warnings had not been heeded. God had been speaking to him, I'm sure, but to bring it from there to here, to keep us right in the frame, to keep us right in the hold of God tonight, I trust that you will never ever be in a place where you will have to eternally regret, oh God, I didn't listen to Eric Stewart. I didn't heed his voice. I didn't want to seek his Savior. I would not yield to him. You know something? You will hear my voice in God's eternity. It will follow you. And tonight, whilst all the mercy of God envelops you around like waves of favor from the throne of God, that voice of mine and others like me will be like a whiplash that will follow you right on out and further, further out. Say, oh God, I wish I had listened to that man. I wish I had come to the cross. I wish when He lifted high the old rugged cross and lifted up a crucified Savior to me, how I wish when we were singing those lovely songs, just as I am without one plea, but that Thy blood was shed for me and that Thou bidst me come to Thee, O Lamb of God, I come. How I wish I had come. How I wish that when he sang that song O turn ye, O turn ye for why will ye die when God in great mercy is calling so coming so nigh? Oh I wish that when he had spoken on that verse today if you will hear God's voice, harden not your heart, but I hardened mine. How I wish I had softened. How I wish I had opened my heart. How I wish I had broken through. I was afraid to come down the aisle. I was afraid what people would think of me. Now I'm with the fearful and the unbelieving and the whoremongers and the adulterers. And the devil worshippers and the murderers, here I am. I never would have touched them with a barge pole in life. But what a company now I am amongst. Oh, that I had heeded the warning voice and made the Lord my final choice. But it's a vain regret. clock cannot be turned by. There is no exit door to the caverns of eternal perdition. There is one entrance door, no exits. All over Europe, In the 1940s, the great Nazi war machine moved from country to country, and the Jews were stamped and branded, and they were put in the wagons and the trains, and they were taken to the execution and the concentration camps. And they were stripped and their gold teeth were taken out and their gold was taken off and they were stripped of everything valuable and humiliated. And some were driven on a, a sent down a line here because they were going to be used for work. And here's this other vast stream of humanity that's moving forward, boys and girls, little ones, over two million of them. Have you ever been to Israel and have been to the Holocaust Museum? And you walk into that dark labyrinth and there's a little light burning. Six million little, well, mirrors that make six million little lights. And you walk in through the door and the first thing you see in the little glass case as you walk in through the entrance door is a little shoe taken off a little infant that with two million others was taken in there. And there was only an entrance door, my people, but no exit. And the smoke of their consuming bodies rose up into the air above all those concentration camps set up across Europe. What an awful, terrible, dreadful Holocaust that was. And their people would try to airbrush it out of history. But I tell you, it was real. And there's modernist preachers who try to airbrush hell out of the Bible, but it can't be done. It's real. If heaven is real, my dear people, and it is real, then its counterpart is real too. Oh God, my vain regret. I wish I had heeded the warning. Oh God, would there not be the faintest hope that an angel would come from God's heaven and give me another opportunity? Could a shining archangel not leave heaven? He is so powerful. He could cross planets and stars and cross down through our earth and head on down to this nether region and bring with him a pardon, an opportunity, an opportunity to be given again. And my man, who is now in that outer darkness, travels along and hears a man over here and he's washing his hands. Who is he? Who are you? Oh, I'm Pontius Pilate. And why are you here? I release Barabbas consigned Christ to the cross and I tried to wash his blood off my hands with a basin of water. You see, the picture's not true, Eric. Let me tell you something. Pontius Pilate died in an insane asylum in France. And at the end of his life, what did he constantly do? He constantly was found washing his hands in a basin of water. His mind was gone, but his memory was real. Here's Agrippa. Who are you? Oh, I'm Agrippa. And why are you here? Well, I'm here because I was almost persuaded, but not altogether. And why in the world, Agrippa, did you not take the final step? Why did you not step over? Why did you not clasp the Savior as the Apostle Paul spoke to you? Oh, well, you know, I had a good job, and I was afraid I would lose my job. You know what I'm going to tell you? It was only a very short year or two after Agrippa did lose his job. And he lost his soul as well because he had traded his Jesus. Calls Jesus for his job. Almost persuaded. You see, Eric, that's me. I'm looking back now in my life. I remember meetings. In fact, I remember meetings where I heard you before as a younger man. And I was almost persuaded then, but the years have gone on and on and on. I've got a question for you. How many more years will it take and how many more years do you think you need? And how many more years do you think you want before you make the choice? To follow Jesus. And here's another man. Who are you? Oh, I'm Felix. And what's your story? Oh, Paul came and preached to me of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. And I shook, I trembled fact, the Greek word in the New Testament signifies that he was terrified. Felix was terrified. Judgment was real to him. And why in the world did you miss it, having come so close? Oh, well, I thought there would be a better season. And did you say anything to the man of God who was speaking to you? Yes, I did. I said to him, go your way. When I have a convenient season, I will come. Can you imagine? It is pure imagination. Can you imagine if a white-winged angel should come to that dark, Dreadful place. You say, Pilate, Agrippa, Felix, we're going to allow you to go back one day to earth. One more opportunity. Can you imagine the response? Can you begin to feel how quickly they would exit that place and look up the servant of God, Paul, and say, Paul, we're back. We've been given a day to get right with God and we are going to. We don't want to be back here in this dreadful place we've been. We're, we're going to get right now. I think we could bring that right into this meeting now and tell you that this now is your day before that may be your eternal destiny. Ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing that is more real to me now than the awesome eternity of which I am speaking. My soul, if you could feel my soul, I want you to know that I am never, I will never be more earnest than I am. God has got a grip on my heart. And I feel as if I am standing between the living and the dead. And I feel as if I'm the last barrier under God for some man, some woman. And the Lord has brought you here by His mercy and His providence. Mr. Stewart, I'm a young man. I've got a lot of time left. I wish I could write a guarantee out and give it to you and say, there it is. 60 years left for you yet. 50 years for you. 20 years for you. I can't do that. I couldn't even write a half hour for you because there is but a step between me and death. Vain regret. No such angel, no such event would happen. Pilate is still there. Felix is still there. Agrippa is still there. And all who trembled, all who were almost persuaded, All who sold Jesus. And Judas. Oh God. Judas. The man who kissed Jesus. Came over the brook. Down into Gethsemane's garden. Brought a bunch of soldiers with him. Stepped up, kissed Jesus, and Jesus said to him, Friend, friend, some friend sold him for thirty pieces of silver. And when he saw that he had betrayed innocent blood and he knew the chips were down and there was no way back, he took his bag of money and he went to the priest and he threw it on the floor in the temple. And I still hear the clash and the clang of those those pieces fall on the floor. And friends, the clash must still be ringing in his ears. So the Savior. mercy on us. What are you selling him for? See, Eric, Eric, you've got me. I'm in your line of fire tonight. God has got you. You're in his line of fire. But he's here to be merciful to you. Don't let a black devil take you to the realms of eternal darkness when the white lamb of Calvary has given his life's blood for you. Years ago, wonderful man who has now gone home to be with the Lord, W.J. McKay McCormick, the vet, but a wonderfully used servant of God to deal with people who were demon-possessed. And sometimes I had the opportunity of ministering alongside him. And I remember one day when we were working with a particularly difficult demon-possessed person and there was a master demon who was standing very strongly against us. And Mr. McCormick said, "Uh, You were there at Calvary, weren't you? I command you in the name of Jesus to acknowledge it. The demon said, yes, I was there. And as we proceed, he said to him, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to tell us who was the victor. Who won the battle? still hear what he said in a not too loud voice the white lamb of Calvary yes ladies and gentlemen the white lamb of Calvary did win the battle and that's why we are here and not in that nether region. There are many other things that I could say and many other vain regrets that swamp a lost soul in a lost eternity. Somehow God would forget my past Friends, we can't erase the past. God requireth that which is past, the Bible says. A man who was dying said, bury my influence with me. But we can't do that. The memory and the effects of his wild sowing were plaguing him even as he was coming down to the river and he said, bury my influence with me. But your influence, as well as your deeds, are in the record books. And the sad thing about it is there's another book. And your name's not in that book. You know what it is? It's the book of life. Years ago in a Sunday school day, Sunday school special day, a little boy stood up and began to sing, always remembering. I have a soul to be saved. Let this truth be engraved on my mind and my heart while I'm young. For how awful the cost if my soul should be lost. And in hell, if I die as I am, Die as I am. Yes, die as I am. All hope gone forever. If I die as I am. Now, dear friends, we are at the end of the mission. We are in the concluding moments of this service. And everything that I've said that is a vain regret for every man that I've mentioned by name out of this book of God that went to their own place and missed God's calvary and God's salvation, I want to say that for every regret that I've mentioned, there is a remedy now in this gathering. There is a remedy for a man who has not until this point in time heeded the warning voice. And you're saying, God, you have spared me when I didn't deserve it. And I have not heeded your voice, Lord, I have pushed on, past it, and stifled it, and stymied it. But Lord, no longer, no longer, not one more Friday night, not one more Saturday, will I stifle the voice of God. This night, warning has come. This night, I'm coming. Wouldn't it have been such an amazing difference if the captain of the Titanic had listened to the warnings? Icebergs ahead. Reduce speed. Icebergs ahead. Reduce speed. And the captain sends back the message. This ship is unsinkable. Full steam ahead. God sank her in the deepest part of the Atlantic. And before she sailed out from Belfast, he used to sing or put up, when, I think it was written up, there's not a ship like the great Titanic. No, not one. No, not one. You know where they got those words and idea from. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. There's not a ship like the great Titanic. No, not one. She never finished her maiden voyage. It would have been so different for the hundreds and hundreds of men and women if the captain had but taken the warning to heart. Will you take a warning to heart? You're in a place tonight now where opportunity is real. Mercy's door is open. Jesus invites you here. Angels are lingering near. Prayers rise from hearts so dear from a husband, from a wife, from a mama, from a daddy. Boy, young fella tonight, your daddy and mommy didn't bring you into the world for you to become a child of the devil and go to hell. They brought you into the world that you would come to their savior and be saved and they're praying for you. Will you stamp on their prayers and spite them to their face and go on in your wicked way? Or will you stop tonight and say, God, have mercy on me. Don't let me leave the lights of the building, lest I go out to the darkness of eternal night. Oh, God. You know what, dear ladies and gentlemen? You say, God, my past. My past. God will forget your past this night if you'll bring it to the cross. I will put all your sins behind my back. I will cast them in the depths of the sea. all thy sins and transgressions, whatever they be, though they mount up to heaven, though they reach down to hell, they will sink in the depths and above them will swell all God's waves of forgiveness so boundless and free. God says, I will cast all thy sins in the fathomless sea. Is there any gospel like that? Is there any religion in the world that's got a message like that? Not one. Not one. But we have it. Now, the blood of your soul is not in my hands anymore. My hands are clean now in yours and with all the heart that I have with all the soul that I have I am asking you to put your feet forward tonight and step out and come to the cross it'll cost you but it'll cost you more if you miss it It will cost you, but it will cost you more if you miss it. Oh Lord Jesus, reveal yourself. Reveal your mercy. Reveal your grace. Reveal your love to this people. Boys, Young men, youth on your brow, vitality in your body, will you hand over your life to Jesus tonight and trust him? Man tonight with more birthdays behind you than ahead of you. Will you make sure that you get in and get the second birthday to be born again tonight? Sir, Eric, yes. God is speaking to me. The battle's on. But the white lamb of Calvary will have the victory. In my life. He'll have it tonight.